It'd be better if you had a mi microphone in front of you, but 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 thank you for thank you for doing that. But Isn't I can't count us in here. I can't believe that next week is Thanksgiving. That just snuck up on us. Yeah, it's. I mean, we're doing two Thanksgivings because of family stuff. Yeah. It's just crazy. Guys, good Wednesday morning. My name is Jerry Miller. Thank you kindly for joining us live in downtown Charlottesville in the Macklin Building about, I don't know, 30 steps from City Hall, 50 steps from City Hall, uh, 10 steps from the mayor's office. This is Real Talk with Keith Smith on a chilly uh, Wednesday morning and a lot to cover on the program. When Woody Fincham is in the house, one of the best appraisers in the Commonwealth of Virginia, data is going to be a hot topic, and today matches that criteria. Woody is about to catch an aeroplane to the West Coast, to sunny San Diego, where I'm sure the weather will be quite different than today. We are heading into the holiday season, a time of real estate and buying and selling. That is, how would we characterize it, Keith Smith? Ooh, uh, let's say we're kind of back, we're going to be back to our normal, I think, holiday Christmas uh, routine. We, we, uh, we'll talk a little bit about this, but I've, I found some new sources to put together some slides and some data out of Realtor.com, so a shout out to them. But um, we'll kick off the show a little bit, but I was taking a look at the pending listing counts. These are a number of homes where sales were accepted on contracts going from January 17 all the way up to October of this month, so it's month over month. We're about a third lower pending contracts in October than we were in January 17th. So um, I think everybody seems to be taking a bit of a time out, waiting to see what the interest rates are going to do, and I'd love to get into that conversation today because they've been dropping. Uh, we'll see if uh, our friend uh, Scott Morris was right that, that we're going to get a little bit lower by the end of the year. We shall see, but I'm just taking a quick look at it. Um, week over week, there's only 36 homes. Last seven days, only 36 homes went into uh, active. So in other words, new on the market uh, in the last seven days. I don't think I've ever seen it that low. Woody Fincham, let's get him on a three-shot. Anywhere you want to go on this, and Woody, I got some pointed questions for you. Daniel Miller, welcome to the broadcast. Supervisor Price, hello. Real hey, estate Donna. investor Jamie Turner, welcome to the program. Woody, anywhere you want to go? I think uh, keeps right. I think we're heading into a more normal market than we've been in a long time. I mean, traditionally, Christmas is always going to be a little bit slower around that that time, and then you know when spring hits, we we pump back up. Um, but I mean, we always have you know some some stuff going on over the holidays, so. I just know that uh, it's nice to, you know, you know, you could take a week off after Christmas in my firm, and you know, you're really not missing a whole lot most years. It wasn't that way last year, or the year before, but other than yeah, you're busy. We had that conversation yeah. yesterday. You, you're 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 buried. We are pretty swamped. We went uh, same over here. It's 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 amazing. I mean, uh, we the amount of private work that we're getting, and then uh, commercial side stuff. Uh, it's all residential in the commercial, but you know. Folks who own big portfolios are moving a lot of money around right now, so we're, we're working with a lot of banks on that stuff. It's, it's good so, work. So describe what you mean by private stuff. So, you know, doing litigation work, uh, partition cases, uh, you know, where heirs are inheriting property and suing each other because uh, someone wants to liquidate it. Um, divorces, that seems to never stop. Uh, you know, I've got several of those lined up right now, and 
doing some consults too. With uh, we've had a few appraisers across the country that were that are retaining us to help them with competency issues on doing uh, solar PV valuation and and uh, high performing high performing home valuation as well. What about um, folks? Like uh, reaching out to you and saying, "Hey, look, I'm going to put my house on the market. Can you evaluate that? Is We're that business some. picking up a little bit?" We're, no, it's that's actually trickled down a bit. Um, we usually have a few of those in the pipe, but right now I don't have any. So to put this a little in perspective, because everybody who's watched the show know this, Mr. Miller sit across the street a couple of years across the table from me, taught me a couple of years ago how to take pictures and timestamp them on that. So this last, this exact week last year. There were 64 homes that came on the market, ending today, seven days back. There's 36. Um, I'm going to call that half. It's pretty damn close to, yeah. to half. So half of the homes came on the market the last seven days versus the same seven days uh, ending. It was November 16th, but in any event, ending ending uh, uh, on the same day or approximately the same day. And it's interesting, open houses were seven that time. They were up to 95. What was the prevailing interest rate that, that week? That's a great question. I will look that up while somebody else uh, chats here real quick. Let do, me look up the prevailing rate for that. Do you, I mean, viewers and listeners, um, chime in with questions. You can shape the discussion. It's a dynamic program. We welcome your perspective. Days on market are getting a little long in the tooth with some of these listings, Woody. Do we expect... Um, price adjustments um, to be more prolific, or do we expect the DOM metric to continue to grow longer? I think it's going to start growing longer. I mean, uh, our firm service is a big part of the Commonwealth. You know, for mansion-level stuff, we go all over the state. So I, I, I spend a lot of money with a lot of different MLSs. And because of that, I get a lot of uh, marketing emails from agents from various associations. And uh, we're seeing, uh, like down in Lynchburg and Roanoke, uh, they seem to be going longer on the market than uh, they have been. So those markets tend to be a little more reactive than we are here. I think we're, we're pretty insulated here because of the university and healthcare system. It really helps the economy and, and helps us stay as stable as possible. <clears throat> but um, uh, I am definitely seeing some of the tertiary markets and secondary markets out there. Uh, are starting to you're starting to see price improvements is what everyone's calling them now. Price improvements. Same question for you, Keith. I, 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 I'm going to push back a little bit, but to answer your question, November this week, uh, last year, third year was 6.97. I haven't checked what the rate is right now, so look, we'll call that seven percent. I think we're a little bit above seven, seven and a quarter, something like that. But then going back, uh, Woody, to the same week last year, mm-hmm. there was 47. They call them price changes. We'll call them price changes. It's the exact same number as this week, 47. So we were talking about a chart that I put together that I was reluctant to show that shows the price changes being stable kind of for years. I think that might be true. You know, I think so. I, I don't know. It's like I'm, an anomaly to me. I, I'm just looking. Um, I'll, I'll, t- I'll pull a couple of weeks, but it's literally the same number. The same week ended last year. It was 47 price changes, and we're at f- uh, 47 price changes right right now. Um, back on market is a little higher. So that's interesting. There's 20, actually lower, I apologize. There was back on market with 20 this same week a year ago. Uh, there's six now. So there's less back on market than there was a year ago, but the price changes or the price modifications are staying the same. But souls are way, way off. Souls are 41. They were 94 
that a week ago, a year ago. Um, pendings were 60 a year ago, and we're at 51. So I, I, think, I think what you're seeing in the marketplace, and this is what I'm hearing on the street, everybody's kind of waiting for something to happen. Um, clearly, Waiting for what? Rates I, to move? I, I guess rates. Inventory I, to uptick? That's a great question. When I ask people what they're waiting for, I generally get I don't know. Right, and we start talking that through. So is this a little paralysis of analysis happening. I, at the I think it's a paralysis of analysis. I think people are waiting for something to happen that they don't know what that is. Because the Fed and Woody, you jump in. The Fed it has, has made it clear that rates are going to stay in this spot into 2024. Sure. Yeah, I, I I can't speak for consumers, but my my guess is that with all the international stuff that's going on right now, we're getting ready to walk into a really contested presidential election. Um, I mean, that's causing a lot of problems. The hyperbolic media is, is really hitting the consumers with all of this information as far as the markets go for real estate. I think they're just getting numb to it. And they're just, you know, I wouldn't want to make any major financial decision right now. I'm just, you know, your normal nine to five. Or, I, I, would, I would have uncertainty in, in what we're seeing right now. And I'm going to throw this at you because I want to pick your brain for a second. Mm -hmm. um, we've been, Jerry and I have been talking about forever about tracking days on market as kind of an indicator mm -hmm. of when the market's going to change. And, and doing this research I did yesterday for today's show, I'm kind of thinking out loud, I wonder if we ought to start looking at the pendings a little bit harder than the days on. You should on look at days. listings and pendings, D-O-M. Um, we, we do look at that in our okay. stuff, and we are starting to see some lengthening. Yeah, so I was more thinking about the volume of pendings. The volume? The volume yeah. of pendings uh, that, you know, because we're, I mean, that's what shocked me when I did the paper, when I did this research yesterday. If you wouldn't mind putting slide four up, Judah, I'd appreciate it. Um, you know, this is the, the number of, of sales would have accepted contract. Now, this is per realtor.com. It's a complete, um, you know, swath of everything in the 22963 area code. So that's Lake Monticello, mm -hmm. Fulvana. You know, last month there was 32 went under contract, but again, the next lowest was January of 17, which was 48, um, which is about a third, third down. So I, I think I'm going to start looking at the number of units going under contract, of course, connected with the DOMs. Mm -hmm. Does that make any sense to you? It absolutely does, because oh boy. that's a barometer to uh, kind of uh, forecast what's going to happen with the market, I think. Uh, if all those things are working in the same direction, showing lengthening, and then the, then the next step is to look at, well, what are they pricing at? Is pricing decreasing? Um, that's, that's, well, uh, we're looking, I mean, I'm just looking at some quick snapshots here. It looks like it's the same volume as about a year, a year ago on that, on the price, price reduction. So I don't really know. I don't really think we're seeing a larger volume of price reduction. So any real estate agents out there, if you're seeing that, uh, let us know. I just don't see a larger volume than we were a year ago. And since uh, we've been doing this show a long time, um, I'm now looking at the same week two years ago. New on market was 82. Price changes were 58. So that was two years ago. So two years ago, we actually had more price changes than we do this week. Again, it's a seven-day snapshot. I just went back to November uh, it was 14th of 20. Oh, excuse me, 2021. So that's two full years back. It's the same thing. And I'm going to see if I'm smart enough to have three years. Just back. putting on my econometric head here, hat for a second. So if we're consistent on the volume. 
let's look at the actual, what is the average or median amount of price reductions that are happening that's in, great in that question. period? So that's something I'm, I'm going to look at when I get back to the office. So what, what you're suggesting is, is if the volume is the same, is the amounts greater? Yeah. I think that's great. great Todd Raft, the real estate investor watching the program, the owner of Blue Toad Hard Cider. Todd, we love that you watch all our programs on this network. He says, I know it's tough, but following new construction sales would show something as well. Lots of rate buy-downs offered from the big builders right now. Great cider, by the way, Todd. We, we like it in our <laughs> yeah. house. Um, uh, new construction is difficult to track because so much of it's either not listed correctly or not listed at all. So, you know, you have to get some internal information. I know one of our colleagues, Greg Slater, does a good mm -hmm. job at tracking all of that. Um, I know he sends out a monthly email on it. He sends a monthly email, but that's a great, great uh, thing. Um, uh, there's just a, a local recent builder that is, is uh, I think Woody and I were talking about it, that are guaranteeing a five and something rate. 5.9. 5.9 mm -hmm. for that's 30 years. That's a substantial year. savings. We're yeah, talking so, a point and a half. So that's Greenwood Homes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. on that. For how long? Uh, so it's a 30 yeah, So I dug into it and I actually called the loan officer on that and called them. Here's the caveat to that. It's only on certain homes. It's homes that are that they want to close by January, right? And you have to be under contract within the next two to three weeks. Right. So it's a pretty short, narrow... So they want to move some inventory. They want to move some inventory. It's a smart move. They've got product... Brilliant at, move. Product at that. It's It's going to cost them, them meaning the builder, a substantial amount of money because they're prepaying the interest for 30 years is what they're doing on the difference of that. But back to what I was thinking earlier, because of these numbers we're talking about, and we've been talking about this on the show for a while, if you're in a position to buy, you really couldn't pick a better time to buy right now. Sure. Um, you know, product is a little sticky, days on market. I can't believe we're thinking less than two or three weeks is sticky, but, but you know, it's a little sticky on the market. If you want to buy, now's the time to negotiate and buy, particularly new construction. But it's existing. You can't walk in there and say, I want this, and I want a custom right. home. I want a home built a year from now. Do it's, you expect other builders to do the same? Other builders are doing they the are, same. Yeah. Local yeah. builders. Yeah, local builders are which, doing Which the other same. ones? Yeah, so they're not doing the interest rates. Uh, we've got a couple transactions going with Stanley Martin Homes uh, where we were able to negotiate a substantial um, payment on their, their closing costs. In essence, the buyer is paying no closing costs, so it's basically a 3% on a, on a purchase. We were able to negotiate that number in there. Got a little bit of a couple of upgrades, that kind of thing. But, or and, I can't use but anymore, and it was on existing product, and it has to close the end of this year. And the two buyers are fit that mold perfectly. They've got a home that is at a really good price in today's marketplace. They got the builders paying for their closing costs, which is great. That's 3% cash that they don't have to take out of their pocket. Um, and they're going to close before the end of the year and, and move into a brand new home and then start building appreciation. Matt Neese, welcome to the program. Uh, hey, Jeremy Rowe, hello, welcome to the show. Tom Powell, welcome to the program. Cascadia's finest, Andre Xavier, watching the program. Questions coming in to the program. Kevin Higgins, hello. Aaron King, hello. This is a great one from Grayson, watching just down the street. He is astute. He says, in this uh, interest rate environment, are we seeing the seller financed opportunities returning, or are we not? I think seller finance is, uh, has always been there. They will always be there. Um, I, I think 
look, in order for it to be a seller financing situation, the house has to be paid off, right? That's the only way it really works. Uh, the, down can, payment, the down payment can cover the nut, the debt service. That can work that way as and well. And any time I've ever negotiated for a buyer on that, when there was enough of a loan left over between covering the nut on it, going ahead. Closing costs and real estate commissions. Yeah. Co- commissions, paying legal fees to create the documents and all that stuff, it ends up being a substantial amount of money. So the path forward definitively works much better. And where it does also work well, if you're a seller, so if you're a seller and you want to hang on to this piece of property and it's paid for free and clear, you know, the benefits of that is you get to retain ownership of your property, Right. You go ahead and get a little bit of money down, 10%, 20%. You get a little bit of interest paid on it. Right now, if you're getting less than 5%, you're, not, you're cheating yourself a little bit on that end of it. But what's the worst case scenario that could happen, Jerry, on that? What's the worst thing that can happen? I mean, they default on payments. They don't make the payments. You sell the house again. You get the house back. Yeah, you get the house back, and you sell it again to somebody else. You keep the deposit. You keep all the interest that you I think you it's earn. a brilliant uh, option right now in today's market. That's assuming, that's assuming you've got the right seller, right? And those right and I sellers. I think we might seeing, and, and I'm curious if you're taking them, I think we may be seeing more sellers like that as these DOMs uptick. I mean, you look at uh, tax. We, we, anyone who owns a home right now that's on the market, that's listed a house, has got a substantial payment coming due in early December with real estate payments, real estate taxes coming due. Um, so a lot of folks that are trying to get out of houses are about to strike thousands of dollars of checks. So this is why you need trusted advisors like Woody, myself, and the folks that are part of our partners for Real Talk with Keith Smith on that end of it. Because you've got to have this conversation with the client, with the seller. So what's your goals and objectives? The couple of ones that we have recently done was uh, they didn't need the cash. They didn't need the equity out of uh, the current property. They also didn't want to, they were leased, they were rental properties. They also didn't want to get nailed with a 1031 and we came up with this plan that it works for them. But if you're in a situation that I've got to sell house A because I need all this equity that I built up over period of time, which is a short period of time in today's marketplace, the buy, then you've, then you've got to flat out sell it. Um, but you'll see a few coming on there. But it, it's, it is not going to be some huge number that's going to impact the inventory. Um, it's all going to be these little tiny little pieces, these little silver pellets. Daniel Miller, welcome to the broadcast on Keeps page. Um, fellas, this is a good question for you guys. Do you expect the inventory to uptick after Christmas and New Year's? What do you think, Woody? I think we're probably going to see an uptick. Um, you know, you think the, so? the, the early spring market and all of that. I mean, it's it's going to be stronger. It, it will be strong. I mean, that's what most people want to try to move that have children. Um, so, I mean, I, I, I'm hoping that it will be. Uh, you know, I'm really interested. I, th- I think the key here is the tracking of the 30-year, right? So we're 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 getting dangerously close to seven at this point, depending on which lender you look at. So if there's any lenders out there watching, please give me what the 30-year what the rate is for good credit Good credit today. Ricardo, give us that number. What, what, what it is uh, for today. I'm looking at bank rate, and, you know, that, that, we, that doesn't really tell us um, a whole lot at, at the moment. But I think, I think what you're going to do is I think everybody's waiting. everybody's waiting for the holidays to get over. 
Everybody's waiting for what the Fed's going to do and what the 30-year rate's going to do and tracking. The average buyer isn't tracking the 10-year T-bill and all that stuff. They're right. not. Uh, but what they're going to do is they're going to track that. And as things start getting a little bit, a little bit lower uh, on the interest rates, I think you're going to start seeing people putting inventory on the market. But, guys, it is not going to be a substantial difference. You're not going to see this all of a sudden the inventory thing is solved. The crisis is solved. This requires a lot more than the three of us sitting at this table. You agree with that, Woody? I, absolutely. I mean, in the end, I mean, the market's going to stay pretty static. I mean, it's always dynamic, but, I mean, it will be static to a certain degree because we've got so many homeowners that unless there's a life-changing situation coming up, I mean, I, again, I, I talk about this every time I'm on. I mean, I'm at 2.9% on my mortgage. Why would I ever sell my property? Unless I mean, you have to. Yeah, unless if I've got to go take care of my mother-in-law and father-in-law in North Carolina, we've got to move, which, you know, hopefully never happens. But, um, you know, uh, whatever. I mean, if my grandchildren move across the country, I'm probably going to follow them. But uh, but otherwise... Um, or you sweet-talk them to come back here. That's how I did it. <laughs> I don't know, man. They, 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 my son and his wife are very happy being an hour and a half away for some reason. I think it's because they have the first grandchildren in both families, and uh, we're, we're overabundant with our uh, wanting to spoil them. Oh, yeah. I, I, I got a phone... Just to get off on the grandkid thing, I got a phone call Monday afternoon. Yona's decided to go and hang out in Richmond Monday night and work from Richmond all day long. And I was like... Hmm. What about me? That's great. <laughs> Why don't you go? <coughs> because somebody had to work. Are you doing a lot more uh, showings or listings, Keith? Right now, what we are doing a lot more of is holding hands, to be perfectly honest mm. in, in it. This is our workload is off the charts, but this is all about um, doing hours and hours and hours of what we do every time we sit here, right? Provide information talk to clients, communicate with them, which we love doing. Uh, you know, what's your needs, what's your goals, what's your objectives, objects, objectives, what they object to, and start talking to them about that. Okay, so if you're really in a position to buy right now and there's inventory to buy that there's an opportunity to negotiate, why aren't we doing this now? What's the reason why? And then talk them through through that, and ultimately, if that decision is that they don't want to move forward, good for them. But we're also very direct. You understand if you if you wait, and everybody else is waiting, and interest rates come down to say six, and everybody jumps in the market, you will be paying more money for a home than you are today. Right now is a great opportunity to buy and potentially negotiate something. I can tell you, first quarter, second quarter, that opportunity is going to go away. And I'm fearful that if interest rates go down a little bit, we're going to go back to the insanity of 2020, 2021, no home inspections. Right now, you can negotiate home inspections, right? You, you can actually do a normal transaction right now, um, make it contingent on appraisal, right? There, there was a, a year, year and a half ago, we were doing, people were doing, wanting to do deals uh, and bring in extra cash to cover your appraisal gap. That's kind of worked itself out, mm -hmm. but I'll tell you, if, if the interest rates drop, you're going to see that stuff back again. Katie Pearl, hello. Welcome to the program. Lovely Katie, to good to see you show. the other day. Uh, Albert Graves, hello. John Snow, hello. Kristen Smith, Jehu Martin, welcome to the broadcast. Olivia Branch, watching the program over in Keswick. Thank you for watching the show, guys. Um, Woody, Zillow 
Um, a unique animal. It is. Um, did an about face with how it perceives values to track. Oh, yeah. Um, I read the news just like others. And Zillow, a handful of months ago, suggested values for homes would appreciate four to five points. Now Zillow's recent metric said values will drop on homes. And they reference the interest rate environment, DOMs uh, lengthening. Do we pick apart Zillow like Thanksgiving turkey and disregard the Zillow metric? Or is there any legitimacy to it? I have a hard time following Zillow in the sense that this is the same company a year and a half, two years ago, shut down their own portfolio business of buying property. High buyers. And yeah, the high buyer thing. I mean, they, their metrics that they have behind the, the, the glass door is amazing. They, they can run all kind of metrics, but they weren't very good at forecasting what was best for their investment portfolio. So I'm, I don't know. Maybe they're right, but in the end, I mean, I, it's not really an entity that I would put a lot of faith in because they're, they're, um, they've not – what's the word I'm looking for? Their proof of concept has been poor over the last couple of years with that kind of thing. So I'll take it from a different perspective. So the thing with Zillow is it's a national thing. There are markets within True. Yeah. within the United States that the prices are decreasing. And all you got to do is listen to what we've been doing, looking at the reports, and try to buy a home and find that you'll find out it's not coming down this market. But I'm going to ask you as an appraiser, right? You do this this, this region quite extensively. Yes. Are you seeing prices dropping? Just in some, we've seen some price normalization. I won't really call it a, you know, Let me try to question it a different way. Are you seeing homes increase year over year or decrease year over year? For the most part, everything's still going up. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, interior Charlottesville and, and Albemarle, uh, they, we're still at a very good rate of appreciation in those markets. Green's starting to settle some. Uh, what does settle mean? It's, it's normalizing. It's going back to a more normal market. Uh, we just did some stuff in Twin Lakes, and you know, I'm, there's nothing there that, that's indicating a decrease, but the but the year-over-year increase is definitely pacing downwards. So the percentage of year-over-year increase is decelerating, yeah, that's not a better de- way to put it, not yeah. decreasing. Right. Yep. That I see. I see a de- deceleration of of percentage year-over-year gain. I do not see a depreciation. Of of that year over year gain, but you're the expert. Yeah, I mean, I we're not we're not seeing any decreasing values. I mean, the values are, are very strong across the region, uh, and if we start seeing the, that happening, it's going to be in your tertiary and secondary markets first, and which then, means outer counties. Yeah, it's going to be you know the very rural areas where um, you know it's a lifestyle choice to want to live that far away. Sometimes you know, I mean, if you're an hour out from where you're working. You know, that's a, that's a tremendous strain on your budget if you're, if you're commuting into work every day. So, uh, This question's been put on the feed. Um, you guys talk about this often. Any inventory coming on the market of the new construction variety? Are we still in the red tape um, bureaucracy, as Keith likes to call it, throttle? Builders are being pragmatic. I mean, they're not going to put a lot of spec builds out there right now, and, and nor would I if I were them. Um, but, I mean, a big bulk of my lending business right now is still new construction. We're still doing a bunch of it. I mean, Spring yeah. Creek's going along nicely. The stuff outside of Old Trail's going along nicely. Uh, and they're not having any trouble selling them. I mean, 
Yeah, so they're, they're throttling it back, right? They don't want to oversell yeah. the inventory. What I mean by inventory, this is lots that they have in the, in, in the production side of the house. New you know, uh, custom homes is a whole different animal into itself. Yeah. Um, but uh, in the production side of the house, here's the first thing. The people that are in it, the entities that are in it, we can count on less than five fingers. What do you got? In our region, right? You got Stanley Martin. Stanley Martin. You got Ryan Holmes. Ryan Holmes. Southern. Southern. I mean, you just, you just highlighted Greenwood. Greenwood. That's four. That's pretty much it. You throw Liberty in there? You could throw Liberty, but Liberty, Liberty is not necessarily a developer. They're a Liber different animal. Yeah. They're a different yeah. animal. They go out and buy existing lots. Uh-huh. I would consider them... They're kind of a hybrid. I would consider them what they call a scattered site builder. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. uh, uh, which like is that. the technical term for it. But the ones that go in and buy a bunch of lots in Spring Creek or whatever it is, whatever, or they develop like Stanley Martin, Stanley Martin, Stanley Martin, Southern Development, and Greenwood, uh, uh, their model is acquire dirt, create their own inventory, and build vertical. Miles Hammer giving Woody some props. John Falland? Phelan? Phelan, yeah, from Kentucky, yeah. From hey, Louisville John, hey, giving hey, you some props. Hey, Miles. But Miles the, and appraiser, jump in here with the conversation, Miles. So to answer to answer the question, um, they're going to very aggressively sell inventory they have in the ground. This is what these big get it off the balance sheet. Get, there you go. Get it off the immediately balance. before the end of the year. They're yeah. going to be super super incentivized to get it. They'll probably stretch it out to the first thirty days of next year because they could do some balance sheet magic on it to end up for the year before. How they do that is whatever. Well, it's up to them. That's yeah. up to them. Yeah. Uh, but, but you know, there's magic that one can do in, in that line of work on it. But in any event, what they've got going on, ready to close, they're going to be highly aggressive on it. This is an interesting question from Stefan, who's an investor. Are the small builders getting completely out right now? Small builders are definitely on the edge and and not the well, what work would they have yeah i mean you're if you don't have economy of scale like the big builders have it's really hard because land is so expensive and the well, development costs are up there now. so i was a small medium developer developer builder went through every market from 87 to the insanity of 09 the time of great unpleasantness you know, the small, I was always more expensive than everybody else. Mm -hmm. You know, it's what product you serve, what service, how you serve it, how you do it. There will always be a niche market for that, but it's not going to get us out of the housing inventory crisis that we're in. This is, will be niche market. People come in with funny accents like mine <laughs> down here that go ahead and, and build. Uh, Kali Baggett, the developer and builder watching the program here. Joshua Tracy. Thank you kindly for watching the program. We really love when you guys watch the show. Heather Walker, Johnson Village's finest, watching the show right now. We broke the news about Northrop Grumman and $200 million into Waynesboro yesterday. Yeah. And, went and, viral. What so, do we expect from $200 million with Northrop Grumman into and Waynesboro? 300 employees, right? 300-plus new jobs. High-paying employees. High that. And yeah. that, that goes back. The governor's cabinet specifically said the words... High-paying jobs. Yeah. So, why would I, that is literally the best place to go? To go with the other side of the hill. Why is that? 
I don't think the folks that are going to be working at this Northrop Grumman facility will be living in the Waynesboro area. I bet you they will. I think they're going to be living in the Crozet area and commuting the, the over initial, the mountain. The initial will Because remember, be these are six-figure-plus jobs. And, and remember, there are, the other side of the hill is very developer, new construction friendly at the moment, right? And so you're going to start seeing um, some, some migration of the big guys going out there for acquisition and development and creating a subdivision. There's inventory out there already to go ahead and, 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 and do that. Roger Voisinet, welcome to the program. What are your thoughts, Roger, uh, of Remax? What are your thoughts on that topic, Woody Fincham? Um, I mean, when you get into the executive level stuff, um, Waynesboro and, and that area, it's, it's a great community. My son and his wife lived there until they moved to Chesterfield uh, last year. Um, I think school systems really pay, play into it, right? Uh, I mean, if you're making really high-paying wage, you're able to go to private school most of the time anyway. But don't rule out Harrisonburg because we do a lot of work up in Harrisonburg. There's a lot of yeah. uh, higher-end stuff up there. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, um, and great views too. <laughs> Miles Hamrick, uh, who's in the game, right? Where, Miles, where are you watching the show? He's outside of Charlotte, North Carolina. He says national builders are land banking entitled land here. Amen. Oh, you're right. And west of Charlotte, North Carolina, Amen. they're slowly building inventory to manage retail prices. There you go. Unpack what he's saying. What do you want to tackle that one? Um, Jerry, I'm sorry. I spaced out for a second. So I'll tackle it. It's exactly what I've been saying. So the developers, the people that can do this, that have the deep pockets, are in the process of acquiring, going through the, the entitlement. So that's the rezoning site plan process. Keep in mind, if you listen to the show, you know around here, that's anywhere between three to six years, right, to go do this. They have the capital to do it and carry forward. Small builder does not. Right. Right. They're, they're left over. They they're, um, have to deal with what's available to buy, which is minimal. On that end, that's of usually it. infill lots and things like that. They infill lots, oftentimes less desirable pieces of land. And what they'll do, because I, look, I, I, full disclosure, I consult for these folks and help them in this area. I know what's going on, and that's exactly what they're doing. That's the reason I know the other side of the hill. They're already doing this. Everybody knew this was coming. The people in the know, they've been acquiring land, uh, putting contracts in, working through the system to do it. But the comment that that gentleman made was they are managing the inventory so they can then manage the price. Price point. Price point. Yeah, because if you throttle so, inventory, prices are going to go up. So, real quick, Green County, single-family detached, no new construction, year-to-date. This year, the median, I just picked median for the sake of, of, of the show, is 370000 Same time period last year was three fifty. That's a 6% increase. All right. So, year-over-year... Your home went up six percent, and I think my prediction is you will start seeing going forward the normal somewhere between three to six percent year over year in a larger footprint. There'll be micro markets that matter that might go down. There's also ones that are going to go up too. The closer you get to the urban ring, I think your year over year percentage is going to grow. Generally, that's correct. Yeah. So, but right now, just a quick look at it. This was just median, real quick. Um, it's at six percent year over year. Not bad for a realtor. <laughs> how, 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 how are your colleagues doing, Keith? You talk to a lot of realtors. You talk to a lot of brokers. What's the mood? What's the temperature? 
Yeah, so look, um, we, we as an industry um, got a lot of things coming our way. And, 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 you know, everything from, you know, what's going on, we've talked about it to we're blue in the face in the show. Um, all you got to do is read the news. This, this oh, shift pivoting that's going on, on on how one gets compensated is there every you know, look, I've been doing this for three and a half decades. There's always O shifts that come in here. The market is now, you know, down to 2015 and 16 volumes. We've documented that on the show. So that's impacting people. So their salaries are how much money they make is down. Um, so there's a lot of pressure on it. And, and you have to communicate these shifts, these changes to a lot of people. And some have the skill sets to do it and, and some do, do not. Um, so what do you think of the uh, Andy Zeman conversation from Friday and and, and uh, follow up meeting you had? Yeah, I, I I think Andy Andy is is pretty straightforward and and is kind of echoing everything we've been talking about this uh, for 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 a while. There is going to be an O shift. Um, I'm trying to be uh, thoughtful of my dear friend who's sitting to the right of me, who's on the car board to keep him out of out of trouble. Uh, but I'll say this. Um, this time next year, we're probably going to be close to 40 to 50% less agents. And you know what? I don't think that's such a bad thing. And what are your thoughts on that, Woody? And, and curious on a different topic. The people um, that don't belong in the business will... We'll, we'll, calling the herd. We'll, we'll call it. Calling the herd. Um, curious on, on a different topic. How does it impact the appraisal business? The appraisal business is getting ready to shift big time. The GSEs, which are that's the government-sponsored entities like Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, and then the agencies, FHA, VA, they are getting ready to do a massive form uh, retrofit, which means that the current um, appraisal report form that we use in, for lending work is getting ready to transition over to a new format, uh, and it's a major change. I actually welcome the change because unlike a lot of people who do what I call commodity service work for the lenders, they only do form work. We write a lot of narrative reports in that, and, and what form reports we do write have a lot of writing in them and charts and things like that. And <clears throat> the new format's going to allow, it, it actually expands. So I know when you guys are reading um, appraisal reports, you know, they give you two, two lines on the form to talk about something that really needs two pages. And so we have to jump everybody to addendum. Well, I look at like the that. number, brother. <laughs> Did we hit the number? Did we hit the number? And uh, anyway. I might know what I'm doing. It, it's a good thing in the sense that all that narrative will all now be in one spot because we have expanding forms. But, you know, the median age for uh, like an SRA with the Appraisal Institute, that's, that's one of the designations that I have. Um, I think the median age for that is like 61. Uh, so a lot of folks are getting to the, towards the end of their career, and they just don't want to make that big shift. Um, now, unfortunately, I've got a lot of colleagues across the country currently that some of them are saying they haven't seen work in weeks and months, uh, and they're having to do something else for a living because they've tapped into their savings, and now they're, that, that's gone dry. That's and because they didn't diversify things. like you did. You True. diversified quite a few years ago, right? Yeah, you do I mean, multiple. I got hit really hard in 2008, and I, well, learned, I learned a very important lesson back then. You, you don't want one client having more than 25% of your business. There you, go, and, you know, I don't want to do just lending work. I mean, we, 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 we really are concentrating on doing it as little lending work as we have to do. So it's interesting. I crunched some numbers because there were some viewers and listeners from previous shows that was asking, you know, what percentage of real estate agents 
do the percentage of the market and and I've got a crazy spreadsheet I created so I'm going to try to explain this real quickly but to make a very simple analogy um, was it can, can I guess eight percent of the agents do ninety percent of the business you read the email oh I actually don't, <laughs> I actually don't read is that what don't read those you emails. Jerry doesn't do his homework he's I told do you not that. Read those it's emails. actually seven percent seven percent but I broke it down differently right because you know, in order to make, to net, and, and this depends on many different factors, but in order to, as a real estate agent, in order to put in their pocket after expenses and everything like that and taxes, uh, $50,000, something like that. Oh, that was a good email. I did read that. I know you did. I did read that. My heart broke there for a minute. I did to read that one. With you. I thought maybe our relationship was over. This was good. This was good. And Dan Pettit, we'll get to your comments, questions coming in. Read. You, this is a good snapshot you did. Go ahead. Yeah, I got to get it back. Thank God I got notes in front of me. Yeah. So in order, and I, and I don't want to break into the details because it depends on splits with agents and your commissions, all this stuff. But in simple terms, in order to put in your pocket after you pay the federal government all your expenses, you know, an actual income fifty grand, you've got to make about five million dollars in sales, right? Only fifteen percent of our one thousand. Let me get this number right. 1,094 current real estate agents right now. In car. In car. Hit that goal. So everything above that do not. 15% of the agents in car make 50K or more. Yeah, it may plus or minus $10,000 because it depends on your split and your expenses and you know, do you actually put money aside for the government like you're supposed to, 20 to 30%? So I've allocated 20% of it. But here's the deal. In order to make six figures in your pocket, which, oh, by the way, what is the uh, area medium income? In 123.3. So you're not even hitting the area medium income on that. You've got to do $10 million in sales, right? Again, there's a whole kinds of formulas, but that's kind of where you're at. There's only 7% of the 1,100, excuse me, 1,094 agents in our marketplace that put in their pocket over 100K. And if I went and dug a little bit more into it, that 7% would even drop more if you do 125. One, obviously, the higher you go sure. up in salary, that drops. So you're saying there's 77 agents in car that come close to the area median income? Uh, 73 agents. 73 agents in car. Based on their data that I pulled apart yesterday. That's, that not, be, that's not that surprising, though. No. I mean, our MSA is, is rather small. Um, so that... that that's it's 100, that's 100, 1,094 agents. Now, I, my suspicion is is probably when they hit the reset button in the beginning of the year, that 1,094 is probably going to drop substantially. Yeah, I think so. Um, but at the moment, to be exact, it's 6, 6.6728%. And it's 100, and, and I rounded it up. If you do the certain formulas right, you roughly make about $100,000, $108,000 that after you pay the federal government, all your expenses, your fees, cost of goods, cost of sales. So what's that tell you? What it tells you. Unpack what, that. And Jesse uh, Bellavance watching, and he says, I'm not even an agent anymore, but I absolutely love this show. It's thank you. so informative. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. And he's a one hell of a... Of, of a uh, Nope, sorry, got the wrong guy. I was thinking he was an artist. Um, a hell of a dude. Hell of a dude. Yeah, uh, yeah so um, what, I, I don't know what that tells me. It tells me that it's something that's, that maybe 
in the industry, it's always kind of been this way. There's a small percentage of people that do the majority of, of, of the work. I can tell you the people that are in this 6 or 7% range, these 75 agents, or, you know, let's call it 75 to 100, they're not going to go away because they're pros. They know how to do the job, right? When you're, out, when you're doing $10 million worth of business, you ought to, if you don't, you should, have an assistant. So you're paying people. Right, you you running a business, the business of real estate. Five million, you're kind of right there. When you start hitting down a little bit lower than that, um, you I know, would say it, I would say uh, if you're doing five million in sales and your gross, that's good. That's and, good. You, and your gross is fifty k. Yeah, it's roughly forty five fifty k. I would say that would be a, a challenging business to run. Yeah, so it depends on how you break your numbers. Challenging business to run in this market. So I, I took that down and broke it down like if I was writing a business plan for somebody, right? You know, do they really put 20% away for the federal government? If they don't, they're making a huge mistake, but some don't, right? So that 20%, which is $18,000, if you don't do that, comes to the, directly to the bottom line. You're going to end up getting hit if you don't do that. So it's very smart to put that money away in, into account. And I've got like a 40% cost of goods, cost of sales built into that. That's your car. That's your dues. Your marketing, your photography, yeah, your videography. Your, your fuel. You know, everything that you need to roll into, into a business. Now, somebody might have a lower number than that, 20% or 25%. So that could impact that bottom number up and down. But just on the basic industry norms, um, you know, you, you've and, and I did it on a 2.5% eggs, right, as an average, because according to what I'm reading, that's about what's average going out there. Uh, but if you bump that up to three, then obviously your bottom line comes up. But to hit that 50 to 60-ish plus or minus uh, range, you've got to put out about $5 million in sales. Sarah Hilbuchensky, welcome to the program. Daniel Rushing. Um, welcome to the program. I believe he's adjunct uh, faculty at Gardner-Webb uh, University watching on Woody's page right here. Mustache Dan Pettit, welcome to the show. He says, and, and Dan Pettit's been in the game, what, 40 years? Oh, I think he was born in there back in <laughs> He says, the your last age. show on commissions was an eye-opening experience for me and the entire industry and its future. Thank you for this. Folks need to be educated on what you can expect and what you should be doing for your clients, your sellers, and your buyers. Yeah. Fantastic program. Thank you. We, we, we wanted to tackle it from a high level, but the, the caveat here is talk to your broker because as an agent, you don't, your broker is the one that guides which way you're going to go in the state of, state of Virginia. You can do that. I do want to pick a quick number apart because um, I also wanted to take a look at the percentage, the actual, and we did this on the show the other day, and I wung it a little too light and loose, so I went back and spent a couple hours and dug into it. So the number, of, the percentage of sales that are done by bright agents in our footprint is 8%. I, I, 8%? I misquoted a number. Was I think I quoted a number way higher than that because I wasn't factoring out things, things correctly. So that means 92% of all the sales. So there was up to year to date, there was there's 6,036 sales. Uh, 484 of them were from Bright or unrepresented or some other entity other than a car agent. So that means car agents 92? are doing 92%. Just, and that includes, uh, and I learned something. Um, but that's from, only our six jurisdiction footprint. I specifically did not include the other side of the mountain 
and and stuff because they kind of the Northern Virginia agents start bleeding in there when you start getting closer yeah. up that. Way. I learned this, and that includes uh, for sale by owners. And and I, I no FISBO is, is not an acronym we can use. That we learned this from Candace. That's yeah. actually a uh, what is that? What, what, what is it? Trademark. Actually, I think it's a brokerage. It's a brokerage, but it, it's an, it, if you read any article, they use the they term. They use the moniker. They use the term. So for sale by owner is doing it. That does not, we don't know if that includes for sale by owners. Are teams considered in this 7% as one unit? Yes. Great question. Yes. Um, teams are considered as one. You should unpack that for the viewers and listeners. So if you're under a specific team, under a specific person, it, it, it counts it as one. You don't necessarily have to do that. So we are not a team. We're a full-service brokerage. So each one of our agents have their own uh, uh, count of dollar volume in, in units. But if you operated all under one team license, um, it, it counts as one. So if you look at Denise Remy, it's, it's one, right? So forth and so on. Okay. Okay. Questions. Put them in the feed. It's a we'll great relay. Question, by the way. We'll relay them live on air. Charles Benjamin, welcome to the. You got a, you got a lot of folks in the business watching the show right now. Sam McGrain, hello. Ivy Haynes, hello. Christelle, hello. Gina they're Downey, look, hello. They're looking. They're looking for information. Yeah, right? and that's need, what's happening here. And we need to be careful because we we, we don't want to cross any lines so that anybody at this table gets sued. But we also <laughs> want to we want to give give honest answers to whatever their questions. Their questions may be. Look, if you're in the business right now, Mitchell Kapolas, Kapolas, great oh, program, great information for both agents and appraisers. Wyatt Roberts, Chuck McGee, Wes McGee, and welcome to the broadcast. Woody Fincham is a popular guy in the appraisal business and in the real estate business. His feed and page often blow up on this show. Uh, you got a, uh, a smile on your face when you heard the name Mitchell. Uh, Mitch is an appraiser down in Louisiana, actually. I uh, spent some time with him, and uh, my daughter and I went down to see a concert in uh, New Orleans, and they, uh, him and uh, Joe Meir uh, are good friends, and they, uh, they set aside a day for us to go fishing oh, with them. That was a good time. That's one of my favorite parts of the world. I yeah. love it down there. I, lo I love New Orleans. It's a, it's a great, great melting pot of culture. Great food, great oh music, gosh, yes. great music. Don't spend a lot of money, and the people are just freaking awesome. It's if you love music, you can go in one place. They're playing a, a song that you know, and then you go across the street. They're playing it in a different version. And, and you, you can know, so walk across the street with a, with a cocktail in your hand. That's ah, Candice. Candice, uh, you're a tailor-made for this, uh, this show. You're informative. You look great. You know what you're talking about. You do deals. From my account, you're welcome on this program anytime. She says the term FISBO increases their marketing and gives them props. Uh, yeah, well done. Uh, well done. So she says that. She's watching the program right now. So for sale by owner. Thank you very much, Candace, for keeping us, keeping us straight. So, so I think what we were talking about for sale by owner at that particular time, so this, this O shift that's going on, right? If you just think about transactions as if they were all for sale by owner, you'll be in great shape. Look, at the end of the day, I've said it publicly, I'll keep on saying it, we kind of did this to ourselves, right? And, um, but what I was going to say earlier, look, everybody knows if you're in this business, everybody knows you're a little slow right now. So instead of hitting the panic button, use this opportunity in the next 30, 60, 90 days 
to get better educated, get better at your <laughs> skill levels, get I'm better. I've seen a lot of uh, individual agents pursuing uh, brokers designation. Yeah, that's always that's always look. <coughs> a lot of associate brokers happening. Yeah, and that's always been that's always been been the case. But but what are you going to do with it? That's the question, right? Right. So if you're not going to if you're not going to get a broker's license and go through the brain damage of actually opening up your own brokerage, which I've I've got literally I've got the 42 pages of the of the of the code of Virginia in my hand about about that, which requires you to have a physical space, you got to have an address, you got to have all kinds of insurances and compliances and all that stuff. People don't want to do that. The reason regular agents get it, it's just an extra level of, look, I'm even... Knowledge. I'm yeah. a, it's really the same as an agent. It's just... Something it's, for the signature line. There you go. The, the LinkedIn page, the Facebook if, account. If you're willing to open up a brokerage, then you need a broker's license to do that. But I can assure you the brain damage of doing that is a lot. And you've, you should, we should do numbers one day on how much brokers, brokerages make. They don't make as much as everybody uh, This is a great question from Kelsey. What's the difference between a broker and an associate broker? There, 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 there isn't, right? It's a broker's license. An associate broker operates under another brokerage, right? So what could happen, just an operational perspective, right? If Yona's the principal broker, I'm an associate broker, Yona needs to go away for a month or get sick or something. Kiss in charge. <laughs> Scary, isn't it? <laughs> Did you notice uh, I don't have one <laughs> for that reason? But, but that's what would happen, right? So that associate broker would step in to do that because everything, everything operates under the brokerage. Russell Roberts, we love Woody Fincham. Hey, Russell. Uh, Mitchell watching the program, and he says, actually, it sounds like he likes, uh, is Mitch the preferred nomenclature? I the think preferred so. moniker. So. Uh, Woody, looking forward to getting you back down here for some LSU football. Russell, uh, maybe a little zing at uh, Capulus. Is that French? As in Cajun? And Mitch responds, no, it's Greek. The folks are chitter-chatting on Woody's Facebook page or the comment section right now. So they actually thought that was, was, was Cajun, his last name? Um, I, I think they know each other. Oh, They're just kind of zinging each other. Is yeah, that we, what's we, happening? We exist in a very small sphere. Yeah, I was going to say, the, uh, the so, appraisal world. So how is, speaking of that, mm -hmm. so you're a small world. Mm -hmm. You guys communicate pretty closely. You know, how, no, how, actually, we don't communicate well. Oh. There's just a small group of us within that small group that actually kind of keep tabs on what each other are doing. So do you think this O-shift change is going to change that? end of your business? I don't think so. Um, appraisers have always sort of been like uh, islands into themselves. Um, and when Dodd-Frank came through back in 09 and 10, it really broke up a lot of the regional firms. We've got a couple here in Virginia, in the Charlottesville market that are small firms. But for the most part, you know, it, it's really did, it did a lot of damage to keeping appraisers in groups, which has damaged the profession because, you know, if you're out there by yourself and not paying attention to what's going on, where are you getting your information to how you're going to compete within your market and how other people are doing things? And uh, it makes it very easy for um, entities outside of the, of the profession to kind of push the profession around, unfortunately. So we're not as, uh, we're not as together as we, we this, probably should be. This might be the water cooler for the appraisers. We've got another one watching. John Kapoulis? Kapoulis? Yeah. Um, watching in Port Chester, New York on the program. He says, what's up, fellas? 
first timer on the program, and he loves what he's seeing. John is an interesting guy in the appraisal profession. He started a Facebook page called Ask the Appraiser, and it has gotten up to 30-some thousand members wow. so far. And he's, it's grown a lot in the last couple of months. And uh, I'm actually a moderator over there, and uh, it's, it's a fun little page because what it is is it's designed for agents to come in and, and other people that are stakeholders, ex- external stakeholders to the appraisal profession, to ask questions. And we get questions from all over the country. It's a very interesting group. That is the definition of content is currency. And I think the, uh, the uh, winners and losers in this market, which let's cut to the chase, it's a tight and difficult market right now, are those that are going to understand the concept of content as currency and brand. And, Time will tell. And uh, their professionalism and their ability to edu- educate folks. So that's a great thing. I was not aware of that. So, um, Mitch says to Woody, the good appraisers have been able to pivot away from lending work and remake their business away from lending because yeah. that's going to be crucial. Yeah. Well, diversification is always key in any business business model. If you put your eggs in one basket, you're going to have a problem. But in in that platform, what what are the top one or two questions that are usually asked? Oh, it's so varied, and it really depends on where the agents are from. But, I mean, we get a lot of questions like, well, uh, you know, someone converted a garage, and it was not permitted at the time of the conversion. Will that affect the appraisal? Um, so what's the answer to that? Uh, well, it, it, honestly, it depends on the market that you're in. I've seen, because uh, I used to be the chief appraiser at a very large uh, national appraisal firm, we would see different things in different markets, like around Orlando and that area down there. Um, it was very common for you to have, you know, you got a 1960s ranch, three bedroom, you know, one bath, maybe two baths, and they convert the garage into a den or another bedroom. And uh, most, for the most part, they didn't pull permits for it. The, that market accepts it without really any, any issues from what we were able to ascertain. But then you get into other markets uh, where that's not the case, you know, the, and some lenders to their own, um, uh, I don't even know the right way to say it, but I mean, some lenders want appraisers to be what, what I refer to as the permit police, where we're pulling, we're going back and looking at permit history on the property. Well, if the market's not reacting to it, there's really no need for us to do a lot of extra diligence on it. Uh, but some mortgage companies have come to appraisers and said, hey, if it's not permitted, you can't count it. And it's like, well, I can't pretend like it doesn't exist. It's there. Thus, it has some value. contributory value, whether mm-hmm. it's a plus or a minus. It's my job to figure out. Uh, but, um, yeah, that it, Mortgage companies sometimes get a little bit, uh, and they, they really want us to do more than we really ought to be doing in some situations. Roger Voisinet said you, ha- you should have included Craig Builders on oh, that list. There you go. Thank you, Roger. Yeah. Thank developers. you, Roger. So that's five. That's one hand. That would be six. No, I think we're we right. We counted Liberty as a, a yeah, scatter. Li- yeah, li- Liberty, I don't think I would count on it because, because uh, Sa- Sam and, and Craig's builders do some a little bit of development but yeah it, you know, he's 100 percent right thank you roger for keeping me straight roger voisinet uh love when you watch the program candace giving woody some props she says she often tunes in to hear what woody has to say she says the show is easy with us hosting the program she looks forward to coming back yep. on the show um candace thank you for your commentary today um how do you value basements in your appraisal woody fincham that from Mustache Dan Pettit, one of my favorite viewers and listeners. How do we value basements? Mm-hmm. So basements do contribute, in our region of the, uh, of the world, uh, often do contribute value. Um, 
it, finish, you know, finish quality does matter. Um, some basements are designed to be finished out later on. Some basements are just utilitarian spaces where you're going to store things and, you know, the, the ceiling height's too low to really do much with. If you've got a lot of ductwork hanging down and plumbing and things like that, um, it may not necessarily be um, what we would consider living space. Uh, the mortgage uh, entities like uh, Fannie and Freddie have come out with, you know, if it is subgrade or below grade, any part of it, we can't consider it as part of the gross living area. So it doesn't contribute to the overall value the same way that the above grade finished area would, would, would contribute. But they definitely add value. And everything's going to, the answer to any appraisal question is it depends. Um, you know, you maybe better, yes, maybe no yes. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it, it, it really it comes down to what we're dealing with specifically to that property. So, Yeah, so uh, <clears throat> it, it's an interesting answer, an inter interesting question, and I, I appreciate the answer because that's stuff that we get asked all the time mm -hmm. in the CMA and go, okay, how much value does this have? Now, it could not be, it could be non-conforming, but people are living in it and they're using it, sure. right? And that adds value, that there has some value there right. to it and how one determines the value is. And I'm going to pivot a little bit back to this O-shift that's kind of coming down, this decoupling, for lack of a better term. What kind of struggles do you think that's going to present for you as, as an appraiser? Well, anytime you have an O-shift moment. Caveat. Yep, yep, you need to. Yeah, anything I talk about is my own personal opinion, not that of Carr, since I sit on the board there. Um, and I'm asking this as an appraiser. Yeah, I'm, I'm answering it as a general appraisal question. Um, so contributory value is difficult for appraisers to figure out in a lot of cases. On the agent side, it's going to be very difficult because, and I'm not picking on agents at all, but a lot of agents have never been correctly schooled on how to do a proper CMA, a, yeah. a, a, comparable, mar a comparable market analysis. Yeah. And it's essentially, it's set up oftentimes like an appraisal <coughs> would be set up, um, but, you know, there's no standard adjustment for anything. I mean, I can do the same model ranch at Lake Monticello six months apart from another one, and the actual adjustments that we use for gross living area are often going to be different because we're modeling information as of the date that we're doing the appraisal. So if the market's been shifting upwards then, or, or downwards or whatever, we are going to change that adjustment based on what the data is telling us. Um, a lot of times, you know, I'll get calls from agents and, hey, you know, what do you use for gross living area adjustment in this particular subdivision? And, again, my answer is usually, well, it depends. There's a lot more to consider than just the GLA because how you adjust for bathrooms and how you adjust for garages are going to affect how you adjust for the gross living area. So it's never a... I think a lot of folks think that we keep a list of adjustments on our desk, and that's what we use to do all of yeah, our adjustments, yeah, yeah. But, uh, but we don't. Uh, it really it, it comes down to, as a professional to learn how to, um, if you don't know how to use Microsoft Excel or something similar to it, learn it uh, so you can get your data into spreadsheets and you can start using comparable units to look at different things. Uh, I, I'm currently writing a class on how to do this using RPR, uh, which is oh, yeah. a, a National Association of Realtors tool. And, um, which is a pretty awesome tool. It me. really is. It's a very powerful tool if, and, and would be very successful in the right person's hands. But you've got to understand how to do it. It's, it, is, it, it is 
the appraisals are all over the show right now. It this does is clearly so. Clearly, Woody Fitchum's influence. You should see the commentary that's coming in here. I will happily read it on air if you guys would like me to. Mitch says private Facebook groups have become a lifeline for appraisers to make themselves available to nearly nearly all stakeholders and market participants. This is an interesting comment. I think we're immediately going to get pushback from Keith Smith on this comment. Okay, this is from. Thanks. Thanks for the heads up. I'm letting you know, Russell Roberts. Okay. He says, the smart money does not sell in this environment. Well, Russell's down, I believe, in Mississippi. Uh, it's a different world down there than, than we are here. So that may be true of where he's at, but, you know. I, I, my hearing aids are connected to, to Siri, and Siri's asking, answering that question <laughs> in, my hearing, in my hearing aids. You, you actually are, uh, that's probably the first time our chemistry didn't click off. It's exactly what I've been saying, right? If We'll call it smart money, but if you are a sophisticated seller or sophisticated buyer, the pool of those are not that deep, right? But if you're a sophisticated seller, right, and you are in a position to go ahead and hold on to house A and buy house B and, and go ahead and, and turn it into a rental or, or whatever you're doing or, or for sale by owner, quote, unquote, let's call that smart money. Absolutely. Why would you sell? According to the National Association of Realtors, though, 80, 60, 80, and I can't recite the number off the top of my head, somebody can Google it, have to move. They have well, to move. Let me add to this. Russell is a, an, an MAI. He's a commercial appraiser. Oh, yeah. So he, he's, I'm, I'm guaranteeing well, you. Whole, that's yeah, a whole. It's I, a different I, ball of wax. I, I would love to have a conversation <laughs> with him because I think commercial is the next struggle point if this if the Fed doesn't lower interest rates down and these things start resetting, yeah. which they reset very quickly yep. on it, um, there's going to be, and believe me, I've been through this drill before with my A in acquisition and development. Money. There's a bloodbath getting ready to happen on the appraisal side of things on the commercial real estate front because the big firms um, that have hundreds and hundreds of appraisals on staff, appraisers on staff across the country, right, ha- they've been cutting their fees big time, yeah. and it's really hurting the small boutique firms uh, that only have one or two appraisers in them. Uh, because they can't compete with them, and they're, you know they're at volume, so they can scale a little bit when you're when you're a national company. Uh, but it's really it's it's driven the fees down for them, and it's it's hard for to um, put it in perspective. And that's the reason why the, the five people we listed on one hand generally uses cash for their development stuff because right. they've got it; they don't borrow it. But yours truly used to borrow it, right? And Actually, some of them do borrow because I do some of the pre-construction uh, appraisal work. Do you really? Yeah. I won't mention who, but yes. Yeah, yeah well, I would not say only a couple of the five do that. And at the moment, you know, at two points over prime, that's, that's, expensive. that's expensive money. So to put it in perspective, those that, that may are not in this game, I borrow $10 million to acquire and develop a project. That's going to take me years to do it. It's always 1% or 2% over whatever Prime is. So every month as Prime sets, resets, it sets my invoice, right? So if Prime goes up, my, it costs me more money. If Prime goes down, it costs me less, less money to go ahead and, and, do, and do that. And oh, by the way, now it used to be you could get a deal that started with a little bit of cash in your pocket. They're, they want a substantial amount of cash sure. uh, down uh, as guaranteed. So, gentlemen, as we wind down here, Ooh. Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's, and the close of 2023. How about this question for you guys? 
as we reflect on the year that was, how would you characterize and describe 2023? Would you say it was included in the pandemic boom years? Would you say it was the last year of the pandemic boom? Would you say it was a transition year? How would you characterize the year that was 2023? In real estate. In real estate. It's the year that COVID, the COVID boom market got neutered. I mean, I mean, it, it, it just, you know, we, we've, we're definitely changing because of the interest rate environment. And I mean, let's face it. I mean, the, the previous years to it leading into it have been, um, uh, it was almost a false environment. I mean, the, the interest rates were just too low. I don't know what it's going to look like in 10 or 15 years, but I don't know that the, the economists are going to look back at this period of time and think that it was. They're going to carve uh, it right out. Yeah, I don't I think they're going to see it as a positive at all. I think that I think they're going to carve out that, and we talked about this way back when at this two or three percent. I just didn't know what it, what impact it was going to have, but I knew it was negative. Specifically, what it's going to have. I kept on telling everybody, "Don't get used to this. This is not the normal." I think I think we we 2023 got the real estate as far as volume goes, as far as number of transaction goes, got its band aid ripped off. From 2020 to 2023, we're down over 60% in volume and sales. So 2020 was kind of the beginning of it, the height of COVID, and we've worked our way down. Conversely, value is going to continue to go up because there's just no inventory. It's a simple song. Can I get a little dark for a minute? Sure. Um, so you know, break out the heavy metal music. <laughs> Dystopian. Let's, let's, let's turn on the, the Slayer music. Yeah. Um, so... Look at what, where investors are parking in their money right oh, now yeah. in real estate. There, I've been approached by, I'm an accredited, considered an accredited investor. So I've gotten several folks that have reached out to me because I guess my name gets on certain lists. And they're like, hey, uh, we're building a 200-unit uh, subdivision yep. in Tulsa, Oklahoma. We'd love for you to invest with us. Uh, and what they're doing is they're building individual single-family detached homes on their own lots. They're on their own legal entity, but one investment group owns yep. all 200 units and it's all it's all it's a build to lease is what they're calling it and because of the covid years values have shot way up so the return to the investors is, is very good because rents are still super high and and still going up so i mean i'm wondering maybe if we're going into an era of where home ownership's going to be a luxury thing it's not going to be a thing that most people are going to have look at how much it costs Exactly. The, pr- the barrier of entry right now is price. I, I, it was, I can't remember, help me out, Jerry, I think it was CNN just put out that this is, you know, the, put out what the average income is required to buy right now. It's about a buck eleven. Is, is it $111,000? Yeah. yeah. So and you, that's on a 425 home. <clears throat> And I would say in this area, good luck finding a 425. I remember when I first got in the business, I mean, making six figures seemed like, wow, that would be really nice to yeah, do. Yeah, sure. And now it's, you know. You, you almost can, have to. You can, you can barely pay your bills doing it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um, I do want to caution folks that listen to that. Yeah. That's very market specific, right? That, yes. That, that, Everything's hyper-local in what we do. And for those that are watching the program that are out of market, the market we're in is extremely expensive. Area median income, Keith likes to highlight, according to HUD, is $123,300 per household. So it's very expensive to live here. It's expensive. There's not a lot of inventory. We, we, we are insulated basically around this bubble of UVA. 
but what you're talking about, these are like the Vegas's, you know, these other marketplaces out there that 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 path can can happen. But it only echoes what we talked about earlier about the developer. These are publicly traded companies yes. that they're raising their cash level up. So they can go out and go ahead and do that. It's only going to squeeze it out. But it's 1130, and we, we need to wrap up. Um, look, for the real estate local market, for the real estate agents that are watching this, uh, this is your opportunity this next couple of months. Don't, don't slow down. This is the time to ramp up yeah. your education level, study a buyer-broker agreement, come up with 100 reasons why I, you should use me as a buyer-broker on that end of it, it's your time just to increase your thing. Learn how to do a better CMA. This is that time to go ahead and do this because when that's in our marketplace, when that interest rate starts getting a little bit lower, you know, let's be pros when the insanity comes back again, guys. <laughs> there you go. Keith Smith, Woody Fincham, guys. Real Talk with Keith Smith, show archived online wherever you get your podcasts and at realtalkwithkeithsmith.com. The I Love Seville show is up in 59 minutes and we will lead with breaking news on yet another day. 59 minutes, the I Love Seville show. So long, everybody. Thanks, Woody. What, when's, your, when's your flight, man? Uh,